It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My CEO guest today is David Peacock. As a strategic executive with progressive experience in the manufacturing industry, David is focused on driving performance and continuing the long-standing heritage of Hytrol Conveyor Company through lean practices and alignment of cross-functional talent. He continues to promote a culture of excellence by encouraging collaboration and communication. And with a dynamic leadership style, David possesses the organizational and tactical knowledge to guide Hytro's people, processes, and initiatives. He spent 12 years in the Marines after getting his degree at the Citadel. David Peacock, welcome into the corner office. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Uh, it's wonderful to have you here and great to be able to hear your story. Uh, we talk, spoke about a month ago and great to have you lined up, obviously, for uh, our podcast today. And we kind of like to get started with the early years and hear a little bit about how things, uh, you know, kind of transpired for you as you were growing up. Tell us a little bit about, you know, where you grew up, brothers and sisters, mom and dad. Uh, what part of the country was that? Oh, I, I grew up in um, North Carolina, uh, primarily in Lexington, Winston-Salem area. Um, I have, um, two brothers and two sisters. So there were five kids and my mom wow. and my mom was a single parent, um, wow. until I was about 12 years old and she yeah. married my stepfather at that point. Um, wow. and, um, before that it was, uh, life was pretty challenging for a, a single mom with five kids, but, I um, imagine. we, Goodness. we all, it, we had a good time. We didn't realize that we were struggling as much as we were. So we look <laughs> back now and realize, that, yeah. yeah. So we, we had a good time. Um, then my mom uh, met my stepfather in um, 1973, 74 timeframe, and right. they ended up getting married. So it's, and we moved from Lexington at that point to Winston, which is about a, a 20 minute um, mile, but it was really um, like moving across the, a galaxy from, I can imagine. from where to where we ended up. So it was, well, it was a nice change. Gosh, five kids. So, so what did mom do? She obviously was working and what was her profession? Yeah. Uh, um, at that time she actually worked, um, in textile. She was okay. uh, a seamstress and, um, wow. the, one of the stories my mom tells to this day, which, um, um, I, I have adopted was with five kids, um, she took my myself. I was the second child, and my yeah. younger sister was the third child. She would take the two of us to 
um, to daycare, which was right across the street from where she worked, right, right. and allowed my older sister to, to take care of my two younger brothers. I was um, say, yeah, and, yeah. And in today's society, I don't know that you could get away with that, but at the time. Right. Um, but so then every day at lunch, me and my sister got to go over to my mom's um, oh. factory and sat there. And um, on one occasion, they got paid by the piece. Right. And sure. they kept the all the sewing machines kept breaking the, their their line and it would slow them up. And on one occasion, I commented that if they moved this piece over to here and um, did this, then it probably wouldn't break as often. I was I was eleven years old at the time. <laughs> so, oh wow, that's fabulous! By the end of the summer, the entire plan had changed over to the suggestion wow. of an eleven year old. So, well, you got you got involved in manufacturing very early on. It sounds like I did. I, I, <laughs> I enjoyed Good, the boy. challenge. So, uh, it sounds like it. Well, wow, what an inspirational moment for that. Well, that's terrific. And um, you know, was mom, uh, you know, someone who came from a working class background as well, or uh, you know, what part of the country was she from? Yeah, uh, yes. Um, the my grandmother, her her parents had immigrated from um, England. My grandmother very early in her life came over and lived in New Jersey and then moved down to North Carolina with her parents. And um, then, um, um, so my mom spent most of her life in North Carolina. Yeah. Fantastic. And, uh, you know, we're both C12 members, fabulous organization for those in the pod that are listening and don't know about C12. It's a peer advisory group of, of Christian business owners. And, uh, was mom, uh, you know, a religious person? Did you grow up in the church? Was that an important part of your, uh, your, uh, your, you know, inspiration and in growing up early? Uh, we did. I, we uh-huh. went to church um, every Sunday. Um, I can't ever remember not, um, having my faith. So it's yeah. from a very early age. Fantastic. That's terrific. And um, uh, were you involved in the church? Did you do certain things as a kid growing up? Was there the kinds of activities uh, back then that we have so active today? Or was it just kind of more Sunday school and attending the, the service? Uh, we, we'd go to um, vacation Bible school um, yeah. in the summertime. You know, we were, um, we were fairly um, active um, in the the activities that they had in the church. Um, right. I wouldn't say that we had any type of leadership role, is, but yeah. um, the church did a good job of helping my mom take care of us. I was going to say, yeah, they're probably the real, real backbone there. Well, that's fabulous. Yeah. Any, um, any inspirational folks that you can remember from those days, uh, you know, either from school or from sports or, or you know, during your church uh, growing up time? Well, when my father came into our lives, or my stepfather, I guess I would give him the, the most credit for helping getting me focused and convince me that pretty much um, I could go and do anything I wanted to do. I just had to put my mind to it and exposed us to, a, um, we moved, changed schools, um, and um, I started participating in sports, um, got involved with Junior ROTC, and um, there was an organization I'm not, you may or may not be familiar with called Civil Air Patrol, which was, it's an Air Force Auxiliary organization that does okay. search and rescue. And they've got a, oh, awesome. a a cadet component to that, and I participated in that. So there was a, I I have a very regimented personality, and I I really am attracted to, <laughs> to those types of organizations. Well, that that early manufacturing comment in your mom's yeah. uh, you know, factory makes a lot of sense. Were you a good student in school, David? Um, I. I tell everybody that I can never remember studying in high school. I, mm-hmm. I, I was a top 10 student, a top 10%. Um, easy I, to you. Yeah, I was, um, I, if I had applied myself, I think I could have done much better, but, um, um, nobody in my family had ever gone to college before I went to school. Yeah. And so, wow. um, it was, um, um, learning the, um, 
new expectations. And so sure. I didn't study a lot in, in high school. I worked, um, I had my own job. Um, I played sports and I did, right. was very in, actively involved with the JRTC after activity programs. That's great. What kind of sports did you play? Which, uh, uh, I was a runner. I, I, in the ninth and 10th grade, I wrestled um, at 99 pounds. Um, wow. and, yeah, I was, yeah. I was, yeah, I was a real small kid and, yeah. and I ran, um, cross country and long distance in track. I ran the mile, um, in track. So it's yeah. a big runner. I wanted to play football, but at 99 pounds, there's not a lot of, play, not a lot of roles. <laughs> right. Right. Unless you're a, a very fast tight end, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, and you'd mentioned working some entrepreneurial things growing up. Were you working more odd jobs? What were the types of things you were doing as a kid? I worked um, in restaurants primarily. I, okay. My first job was in an Italian restaurant, and I made the gamut. I, I went from Italian to Chinese to seafood. <laughs> and, um, well, getting the free food there, of yeah. course, was a big part of it. So all you right. want to make sure you had you know all the all the different samples, right? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> that's great. And uh, did you save money for college? Was that an important part of you know kind of your saving efforts, or did you have some things uh, during those years that were kind of your your you know? Uh, things that you saved up for that special bike or something else that uh, you got along the way. Yeah. It was just helping the family, you know, it's um, buying clothes for school and, and um, going and, and doing activities with my friends, those types of things. I I got very fortunate. I got a Marine scholarship out of high school that paid for college. And so. Wow. um, Fantastic. And did your older sister go to college? She did not. um, uh, but my younger sister Some of the younger um, ones. In, in, uh, ended up going to North Carolina State. I went to the Citadel um, in Charleston. I was supposed to go with a buddy of mine. He convinced me to go there. And then at the last moment, some things happened and he wasn't able to attend. And so Got I went it. down there um, on it. my own, but it was a great experience. And then four or six years of service after that, or what was the obligation? I, I actually, um, I had planned on making it a career in the, to stay mm-hmm. in the Marine Corps. Yeah. And um, I did... Um, I got out after 12. I, did, I didn't okay. do the, the a full 20-year retirement, but after 12 years, I had uh, taken an assignment in acquisitions and found out after the fact that once you do something like that, that's you're pretty much pigeonholed into acquisitions, and that's right. not really why you I joined the Marine Corps anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I decided it was probably time to go and do something else and started my um private sector um, career at that point. After that. Well, thank you for your service, David. And uh, I'm sure that appealed to your process orientation and your discipline as well, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Or further refined it, perhaps. Uh, Fantastic. And uh, did you get a degree in college? Were you engineering or what was your field of study? Yeah. I started out as an engineer. And uh, like I said, I thought I was, I was, 17 when I went to college and I thought wow. that I'd be in the Marine Corps my entire life and yeah, 20 yeah. years at 17 seems like the, the rest of your life. And sure. so, um, I knew I needed a degree and I was interested in engineering, but that was going to be a, a lot of hard work. And so I switched four days into my um, collegiate career to, um, to history and I studied oh, okay. history while I was there. All right. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And then, uh, right into the military coming out, were you stationed overseas? Were you at Camp Pendleton out in California? Where, where do they put you? Well, um, I, my first duty station was in Camp Lejeune after Quantico, it was at Camp Lejeune. And about a month after getting there, I told my battalion commander that I joined the Marine Corps to go to places and do things. And they sent me to school in South Carolina. Then they sent me to Quantico for um, OCS and the basic school. And now I'm back in North Carolina. So I've been to the two adjacent states. And I said, that's 
not really what my expectations are. <laughs> right, right. So the next month, he what transferred he me to a unit, and I was in the Middle East for the next two years. So. Oh, my gosh. Be careful yeah. what you asked for. Where, where, where were you in the Middle East? We were primarily, um, it was in 85, 86, so yeah. we spent a lot of time off of Beirut. Um, okay. There, doing security force work and doing exercises in Africa um, and getting to go occasionally to to on liberty into the, into Europe. So, um, Italy and Spain. No, no hot assignments during that time. Right? That, that was that, prior, uh, prior was, to the Iraqi, uh, situation. Yes, it was. It was yeah, before yeah, desert storm even. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Awesome. And, yeah. uh, what did you like best about your overseas posting? Uh, just the opportunity to, to, um, be exposed to those different cultures and yeah. uh, what was going on in the world and, and feeling like that, um, what we were doing was making a difference. Um, yeah. that, yeah. um, it was, we were there to, to protect, uh, us interest and in us lives. Right. Right. Awesome. And, uh, uh, you know, the military is known for giving leadership responsibility pretty early on. Uh, when did you first have that after you, uh, you know, were stationed. Was that while you were still in the States or did that happen while you were in the Middle East? I was, um, um, as a Lieutenant at Camp Lejeune, it was mm. pretty quick. I had, um, I worked for a captain who was the, the commander for the unit that we were in. Okay. And when I got assigned to my first unit, which uh, overseas, um, I had about 15 Marines that reported to wow. me at that point. So, wow. so yeah. I was 22 years old and Incredible. Deployed forward with with responsible for fifteen individuals, and all of them were younger than you, or was it kind of a oh, combination? No. It was younger uh, and older. Yeah. Both. The, the, my second assignment in the Marine Corps was in Arizona, and I had a master gunnery sergeant that that worked for me, and he joined the Marine Corps the year before I was born. Yeah. Oh my gosh. How <laughs> yeah. about that? Fantastic. Yeah. Well, what were some of the lessons? You know, if you uh, go back to that period of time, yeah. that lessons that you you took away from leadership. That uh, you you need to surround yourself with with good people. Yeah. You know, in the Marine Corps, you get the pe- those people assigned to you. So the, there's no choice in it. Yeah, exactly. you're not doing you're, much hiring there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you have to learn to 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 take advice from people who have different experiences. You know, for me to expect to to tell a, an individual who had been in the Marine Corps my entire life how to do his job was not a realistic expectation. Yeah. And that was a, it was a good learning experience. I learned right. that find the right people and work with those guys and, um, uh, trust, um, their abilities and, and, um, things will go well. Did you have situations where you would have someone reported to you that just, you know, wouldn't obey orders or maybe had an attitude problem? And if so, h- how do you deal with that in the military? Yeah. The, um, well, there's, I, I'll give you two examples. That the, yeah. uh, the first one was um, at that same unit in Arizona. I had I had asked a Lance Corporal, a young man, to do something, and he said no. And I, by this point, I had been in the Marine Corps about five years, and that was right. the first time in five years that <laughs> anybody, anybody ever told no. me no. <laughs> and I just sort of froze there for a second. And, yeah, what do I do now? Yeah. Right. And two staff sergeants <laughs> grabbed the, this Lance Corporal and took him away. And a gun, he stepped it in front of me and he said, sir, we got this. We'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. And I went, uh, but he really, yeah. and, uh, um, so they had, and those it. were other people under your command. They were, uh, yeah. but they knew that, um, they're dealing with it would be, um, it was far it was, more effective. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so, probably to protect him as well. Exactly. Right? I mean, it yeah, wouldn't, yeah. It, it was he two, wasn't going to, it wasn't going to kill his career. Yeah. Uh, yeah whereas yeah. if it, if I had had to deal with it, it would have. So you learn, 
appropriate responses. There you uh, go. As long as you're 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 correcting the behavior, um, it, that's the the end result. Is we want to make sure that we're doing things the right way. You know, that's so interesting too, because you know, in my executive recruiting career and in my professional career before getting into it, I can never remember a time when someone stepped in front of someone else and said, "Let me take care of that behavior." Right? You know, it doesn't yeah. happen that much in the private sector. Yeah. Um, and but you know, it's really a sign of humility, but also a sign of hey, we're a team. Right. And uh, we'll take care of our own. So that's interesting. Did the guy ever say no again? No. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Fantastic. So 12 years in the military. What was the first job coming out? Um, I was um, a production supervisor for Rubbermaid in Texas. Okay, Uh, got um, it. So right into manufacturing. I did. I I enjoyed that. Um, Great company, too, by the way. Yeah, wow. and it was it, we. It was um, a couple of years before Newell had bought, uh, purchased them, okay. and got so it, it was. Um, it, was I a got former there. GE guy running it at the time, or was he that was, before he came yeah. in? Yeah, yeah. Who was uh, that? Who was the CEO at the time? Um, uh, I can't I remember, remember his name. His name. But I remember yeah. it, he was uh, one of the ones that was passed over when Jack Welsh, I think, took CEO. Because I know yeah. that four or five of those guys wouldn't run various companies, and I remember Rubbermaid being one of them. Yeah. Well, in, in 93, it was voted the best place in America to oh, work. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. So I remember was, those years. It was, a, it was a great opportunity. Yeah. And how long did you stay there? I was there until uh, two th- early 2000. Um, okay. I, I did. Um, I had five different jobs in wow. that while I was there. I got a chance to... I came in um, at a production... I actually took a pay cut when I went there, um, wow. but I knew that I... Um, you know, you, you go in, you learn, and you contribute, and... Um, new opportunities will present themselves. And so yeah, about every fantastic. 10 to 12 months, I would get promoted to a, a new role and got a lot of different experience. I got a distribution experience while I was there. I was project manager for the implementation of uh, Toyota production system. Mm. So I got lean experience while I was there. Oh, it was, fantastic. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was a great opportunity. Yeah. So, so how many years in total at uh, um, um Right at just, just under five years. Yeah, fantastic. Great. And then uh, what was the next uh, career progression? I, the, um, the individual that was the plant manager at Rubbermaid left and went to a company called Doskasil, which they're in, in Arlington, Texas. Mm-hmm. And he asked me and a couple others to come with him. Middle and market so, company, privately owned. Yeah. At, uh, we were actually, in, um, I didn't realize this at the time at the, when I accepted the position, but we were in receivership and we oh. were there basically <laughs> to, to fix the company. So right, right. it was wow. 80, 80 hour weeks. Um, just, Ooh. um, it was, it was pretty brutal, but did you turn it around. Um, it did. It, it, it yeah. turned out well. I was there for just under a year. He asked me to come there and do two specific tasks, um, teach the production, um, frontline leadership, how to, manage their day-to-day operations and we had two plants side by side and in plastics um workforce variation very uh, varies greatly mm-hmm, throughout mm-hmm. the day or, um, and from day to day and we'd have one plant that had too many folks and another plant that was shutting machines down because they didn't have wow. any wow. and just that whole coordination between the two facilities was the second responsibility and so i got both of those done in in eight months and he thanked me and paid me for the whole year. And I went jet skiing for four months in, in Florida. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. Took yeah. that time off. Fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. Now, you're CEO of Hytrol, about yep. 3,000, 4,000 employees? 1,300 employees. 1,300 employees. Great. Sure. But yeah. you didn't come there as CEO, as I recall. You came in uh, in a uh, manufacturing position or operational position? 
Well, actually, I was hired um, to be the, the uh, I'm the third president in the history of Hydro. Right. And I was hired to, for this role, but I had nine months where I got to come work at the company and, and pretty much um, learn it from the ground up. Ah, so I, I okay. spent time building conveyor out on the shop floor, visiting our integration partners in the network. Fantastic. Um, working uh, across the whole entire organization. It was a great Was that kind of an onboarding process that the company does for all executives? Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. What, what better way to learn it? And had you been in the industry prior to coming over there, David? I had been in material handling, but I'd been on the, the vehicle side. So I had, I had worked for um, JLG before and, and a company called Calmar, which was a European company that we built a facility in Texas Got it. Um, just before coming to, to Hydro. So you kind of had the parallel industry experience, as we call it, it in executive recruiting, right? You yes. Brought over that. And um, you've been there how long? Uh, actually, next week will be five years. All right. Congratulations. Thank oh, you. That's terrific. And uh, yeah, terrific company. Now, privately held, private equity backed. What, what's their ownership structure? It's, uh, it's privately held. It's family owned business. Family owned. Right. Was did you take over from a family member as a chief executive, or had there been previous down one or two before you? weren't that many, I guess, yeah. right? Yeah, the the founder was the first president, and he okay. served until ninety two, right. and then my predecessor Greg served from ninety two until I took over the position in twenty fifteen. Yeah, fantastic. And you know, tell us a little bit about kind of that um, responsibilities at five years in. If you reflect back, uh, you know, what some of the uh, you know early management experience or rather management lessons that you think you've learned over that period of time? Well, it's, uh, I tell everybody that, um, you know, I've worked in some really good companies, but yeah. this is the first company that I've worked at that, uh, you know, at the Citadel, there's a lot of history and a lot of tradition and you're expected to come in and live up to that and make the place better wherever you can contribute. Right. Uh, the Marine Corps is the exact same way. You're expected to come in and, and help build the organization. And I haven't had that same sense until I came here. And it's, mm. it's, uh, we talk about the Hydro family, which is the uh, um, our, all the employees, and it's really that same kind of feeling that that I had in those organizations where nice. uh, we're very committed to to um, to the our workforce and maintaining the culture that we have here um, of a family dynamic. Um, it's it's um, and recognizing that you know treat people the way you want to be treated. Um, That's right. And it's remarkable every day just how much these folks care and um, are committed to to the success of the organization. You know, it's so funny. It's so often, some of those very basic biblical principles really work so well in companies that work well. Yeah. Right. And uh, it sounds like, you know, the, the golden rule is a very important one there. How would you kind of describe the company culture? David? It's um, the uh, paternalistic is not really the right term, but it sort of mm-hmm. conveys the, the attitude that family, fa- family orientation. It, in that exactly. Regard. And yeah, um, yeah. we recognize that there's 1300 employees, but there's 1300 families that go along mm. with those 1300 employees. And yeah, so the decisions yeah. that we make today impact those as much as it does the business. And if, if we don't take care of the employees, then the business won't be, it, it, the business uh, will, will fail. It's just right. a matter of time. And so it's, it's, we're very conscious of what do we need to do to, to give them the, the right tools. And so, for example, um, a few years ago, we were able to come up with a solution to put air conditioning in, in our mm. factory. And the factory is about 700,000 square feet. So it wow. wasn't a, Huge. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a costly endeavor. But, you know, when it's, if you ask uh, here in, in Arkansas, 
um, it'll be 90 degrees and the humidity will be 80%. Oh. And then you add in all our lasers and our paint system and all these other heat sources. And it would be 115 degrees oh in the facility. Gosh. And so if we really believe that we're going to take care of people, it was, <laughs> yeah. we didn't have a choice but to, to come up with a solution. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So and oh, it's and awesome. just, but, but investing in, in the workforce, giving them the tools yeah. to be successful. And we've been, we've been blessed because for the last, in the, over the last four years, we've um, doubled in size. And so that's, wow. that's uh, a lot of growth. Yeah. 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 So have you found as CEO, particularly the family oriented guy, are, are the family members still involved at all in management or have they pretty much moved on? The, uh, there's the family, uh, um, it's, Mr. Loberg passed in twenty in two thousand four. He was the first president. Yes, sir. Okay. And so then his his kids um, now owned are the primary owners of the company. Right. We we have representation on the family on the board, and we have um, a grandson that works in the business who actually works for me and um, runs strategic planning for me. Is okay. one of the, somebody that I lean on every day for yeah. advice and yeah. Uh, Fantastic. So still some folks involved, and they're a hundred percent owners as as the family members. Um. Well, there's, we have a small ESOP co- component. To oh, it. we have an ESOP. Oh, okay. yeah. that's great. Terrific. Yeah. yeah, we've got a couple of other clients that are ESOP. So that's a wonderful way as well yeah. to retain loyalty and, and usually have fairly high retention rates. Do you find that the ESOP helps yeah. you in those areas? Exactly. Well, and it's, I, going back to your culture, it's yeah. Mr. Loberg felt like the, the company, the employees should have a, um, an ownership component. So that's why he put that ESOP in place. Fantastic. Um, but it, it does. I mean, we have um, 48 employees. They're not all current employees, but we have 48 employees that worked here 40 years or longer. Wow. Fantastic. And that's Earlier great. this year, we, we celebrated the first non-family member that had 50 years of, of, of tenure at the company. And, and how old is the company in total? Um, 70, 70, uh, 72 years, yeah, uh, 47. And for those that are listening today, an ESOP is an employee stock ownership program. I think is how it's defined, right? That's correct. And, uh, these, this is a, 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 we were some percentage of the company. It can be as high as 30 or 40%. Usually it's not more than 50, right? Cause the family kind of retains the, the majority share. Um, and then the shares are earned every year. There's kind of an evaluation done of the company, David, is that how it works? Yeah. There's, there's two pieces that, that can escalate the, the value of the ESOP for the individual employees. The first one is, uh, contributions, just as we m- would make contributions to a pension program or to, 401k the company makes contributions to the ESOP right um, and so then that that doesn't necessarily um, result in owning more shares but it increases the value of the shares that, right. that are held in ESOP and then the second one is, is the company escalates in value um as we have, you, as you can imagine, oh, I've been doubling in a year or two. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, wow. Then the value of the company goes up. And so as a result, the shares that are held in the ESOP are value, their values go right. up as well. And everybody gets some sort of a share allocation every year. It's kind of dependent on what they're earning, right? Is that kind of the formula? That, that, that's correct. Yeah. And, you, yeah. there's, and um, you have, it's, I, I, I'm not ex- you have to be here a certain period of time. I think I it's think, like three or five years. Yeah. I think yeah, it's three yeah. years. I think you gotta be there three years to vest. And then once you vest, you own all of that you've vested over those first three years and every year thereafter, I think. That's and correct. so if you leave in addition to whatever 401k and salaries and bonuses, then there's an extra 401 or, or an extra ESOP 
uh, benefit, right? That is correct. Yeah, Yeah. no, it's a terrific program. Uh, I've been very, uh, we, as I said, we've got a a very large uh, client that we've worked with for over 10 years that's on the West Coast, that's an ESOP, and they're in the building materials area as well. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a terrific way for high retention. And, and would you say that your retention rates are, are higher than the industry average when you look at some of your competitors? Has that made a difference? Yeah. Um, when when you come here, it's it's very rare that someone leaves. We um, <laughs> yeah, we yeah. probably turnover in our industry in this area. Um, we're 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 not quite. Uh, we're a little bit higher than half. Okay. But so if if the industry is about eighteen, we run eleven or twelve percent on wow. an annual basis. Fantastic. But yeah. most of that happens in the, in the first six to twelve right. months. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Once they're kind of there for a while, they 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 yeah. get settled in, and of course, having that ESOP. Uh, opportunity as well is terrific yeah it, we've gone we've done a lot of work to to map out career paths for folks mm, too so if you come in in great. a certain role you it's very easy for you to see what's required to move to other areas and so if you're interested if you come in as an hourly employee but you want to you want to become work in engineering we actually have a path to go through some training and oh, that's um, awesome uh, um, that will allow Pre- you to move you into that. those roles and so we yeah. we think that being able to to visualize a career here helps with that retention right no that's absolutely straight that's great friend love to hear that um so we're both c12 members uh peer advisory group of of, of christian business owners and executives across the world actually now we've got several overseas locations um you know how has that impacted the way you led lead and, and particularly in a company that you know you've got an ownership share but you're not the majority owner it's not your company so to speak although i'm sure you feel a high degree of ownership have you been able to implement some of the c12 principles and has that been helpful as you uh, have developed as a leader Oh, it has the 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 very first um, advantage that I got was that the very the, my initial meeting where I was trying to decide if I was going to join C twelve yeah. or not. Um, this was my first role as CEO or right. president. Um, right. Before I was a COO, um, and so there was um, here. Um, I'm 100 percent responsible for every aspect of the company. Or that's right. and and it was. Um, there was a lot of stress and I went to a C12 <laughs> meeting yeah. and they started talking about problems. And I realized very quickly that I wasn't the only person that had problems <laughs> and challenges. That's right. Yeah. And it's maybe the same ones. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it, it was, it was, um, very refreshing mm. to know that, that other people were having the same struggles that I had. Yeah. And that I wasn't in this alone, that I could ask people for how they had, what problems they had seen related to what I was, my challenge and how they, how they work through it. Yeah, so true. And the curriculum has been so valuable too. Yeah. I mean, I've enjoyed that camaraderie, as you've said, and um, we have our, our open forum at the end of the meeting, right? Where we present mm-hmm. our problems and get insights from, you know, our colleagues and, you know, they know you so well and they can be honest, honest and open. And I was dealing with a staffing issue, right? Of my own staff. And, uh, you know, one of the guys made a recommendation. I said, well, that's brilliant. Yeah. Let's, let's take a look and go down that road. How long have you been involved in C12? Since uh, 2017. So right. just over uh, almost three years, getting close to three years now. Fantastic. Fantastic. And, um, you know, have you been implementing things like, um, you know, chaplains and other types of things in the company? Or do you do anything that's, um, you know, uh, utilizing some of the resources, the broader resources that we have? Yeah, the, um, a lot of the, the video and audio we use. Um, Philip, the, the grandson of the founder, um, is my key player. Uh, oh, so he he's a believer C-12. as well. 
Yes. In yeah. fact, we open all of our, um, we have monthly management meetings, our board meetings. Um, a lot of our key meetings are opened with prayer. Um, oh, fantastic. Um, I hear that. And um, we've taken a lot of the ideas that we've gotten from other C12 members and from the material on how to to uh, expand some of our uh, Christian programs that we have in the company. Fantastic. That's great. And so the family obviously is faith-based. Was it established as kind of a faith-based business as well, or were they not as... Um, you know, extroverted perhaps about that uh, when when the company was founded seventy odd years ago. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure if it started in in that fashion, uh-huh. but I know that we have a small book that was written in house about the history of Hytro, right. and part of that book talks about um, Mr. Loberg had two key advisors that worked with him: a person that worked in in the sales area and in an operations area, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they would have regular meetings and at their meetings they had four chairs it was um three <laughs> chairs for them and the, the fourth chair for the lord so, i love that that's yeah. great so the, there's been a history there too yeah right how would you say your leadership styles evolved over time david particularly now that you're in that ceo role yeah um i um i i'm I've always been a very collaborative leader. Mm. Um, and so it's, I think maybe not so much in the Marine Corps, but, um, <laughs> um different culture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, it's, I think that you, you have, to, you always have to explain why, even in the Marine Corps, in the military, you still have to explain why. And sometimes right. when you, and we, you understand in that environment that you may, you may not have time to explain why, but if you have a, have a history of, of, of that, then and then you find yourselves in a situation where you don't have time to explain why people trust you and they go do what what you need them to go do, and right. and that even applies in in, in this role. And so, um, in our conversations, I've had to learn that I um, I have good people. I don't need to solve all their problems. That I, <laughs> I need to be a resource for them when they need that. Um, it's my job to, to create the vision on where we're going and, and, um, and what the art of the possible is, you know, if, if, if you go back five years, um, um, with our volumes, we'd ship, um, 10 or $12 million a month. Mm. And, and everybody thought $12 million is just, um, that's a huge month for us. And, and today, if you said $12 million, we'd all be panicked because we're not, <laughs> you we're wouldn't not be able to cover it. payroll. <laughs> exactly. And so, um, we've learned, um, that uh, through the, the vision and just the, the, the um, leadership the, that people have realized that they're able to accomplish a great deal more than what they might've thought sure. they would have been able to accomplish. Sure. And so, um, giving them that vision and that, 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 that belief uh, that we're able to go do these things. And then the resources, we've spent a lot of money. The family has invested heavily right. on in capital equipment as we've grown and the, the, my team and uh, middle management and the, and the rest of the organization has uh, realizes that, that the, the family's committed and that they're going to give us the resources we need to be successful. Yeah. We, we need to be good stewards, obviously, right. uh, but the resources are there for us when we need them. And there's a lot of M&A activity in our industry right mm, now it's, um, with, with yeah. technology and with, with all the things that the Amazons of the world are doing. Mm. There's, there's tremendous opportunities for M&A and the family has very um, consciously and deliberately 
um, taken the position that they have no intention of ever mm. selling the company. And so that right. that sense of comfort that that we're all in this and that we're all committed, um, it transcends across the entire organization. Have you been acquiring other companies or has that also not been something that they've been encouraging? We have um, have not to this point. Mm-hmm. We've we've thought about it, um, but the organic gr- growth that's available. Yeah, um, sounds is, like it. Gosh, doubling um, in four years. Yes, as yeah. yeah. Um, moving forward, and, and right now, my my view and my uh, guidance, or uh, guidance may not be the right word, but my recommendation to the mm-hmm. board is that those assets are um, overpriced, and at right. some point there right. will be an adjustment, and yeah. the, that That's would be the, the appropriate time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Perfect. Well, you're a you're a manufacturing guy at heart. Process orientation. Yeah. How do you decide when it's time to micromanage people and when it's time to stay out of their sandbox? The um, we set metrics up uh, mm-hmm. every year, yep. whether it's KPIs. labor content, yep. it, exactly. Um, if it's labor content, material cost, uh, you know, we have um, 15, 16 KPIs that, that we monitor on a regular basis. Okay. And if, if someone's working within those, then... Um, and um, let them keep going. Let them keep doing it. <laughs> if they're struggling, we have some conversations. And yeah. if they need some help, then um, then I um, it's my responsibility to step in and give them yeah. that assistance. But do you monitor that monthly, quarterly, daily, weekly? How do you kind of look uh, at those KPIs? Most of the KPIs we monitor daily. Daily, um, wow. yeah. And wow. um, but you, it's the, our business is such that you can't act on a single data point of a day. Of and so, yeah. for example, yeah. if we may sell a system that's a uh, um, high end system, and so if leading up to that to, for two or three days before that, our numbers will be a little low, right? And if you don't understand that, uh, you that's need what to it takes. Uh, yeah. And so, if you look at it over a a broader period, of a week or a month, you can see the trends, see the trends. and you have to act mm-hmm. on the trends more yeah. than the individual data points. Yeah. Awesome. And so, you've got a good dashboard where those KPIs come up across a variety. Yeah. 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 yeah awesome. I've got a great IT group that. Yeah. Um, I, when I first got here, I asked for. Um, what I called an executive summary, and I told them these are the KPIs that I want to monitor. And over the five years, that has grown to such an extent that a significant part of the company uses the data yes. in that dashboard to to monitor their particular areas. So important, terrific. Yeah. Um, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in, David? I look for um, the um, character. It's mm. are they going to are they going to be a good fit within our organization? Because there are a lot of great people out there that would not do well here because they, right. their chemistry, the chemistry between the organization and them would just not be, um, would not work. Um, but if, if, if they're strong characters and you, you got to have drive and initiative, um, it's, it's those characteristics that I can teach you the technical side of what you, you need to know. It's the leadership and those intangibles that I need you to bring to the table. And right. if you if you do that, then the rest of it will be easy. We just hired an individual who has absolutely no mil- – uh, he was came out of the military. He has mm-hmm. no no background in business whatsoever. Mm. And we put him, we're putting him in a fairly significant role. Uh, but as we do that, he's getting that opportunity because he – he has demonstrated that the initiative and the the intellect and the the character that's the bedrock for for success. And, right. Uh, 
So when you're looking at folks and let's say this is someone maybe down the organization, right? Maybe reports to someone that reports to you and you just have four or five minutes. What does that look like? What kind of questions would you ask that person, you know, to really get at their character? I would ask them why they want to come and work for us. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, why are they making a change right now? And ask them a little bit about their family. Well, David Peacock, you've been so uh, generous with your time. Thank you. We're, we're just about out of time here, but we do have one last question. We ask all our CEOs and, you know, that's a, you know, what kind of career and life advice would you give to someone that maybe have their eyes on the corner office of their own? Uh, I think um, to not be afraid. Uh, one of the mm. things that, that I uh, have learned is that um, not making a decision is, is itself a decision. So, <laughs> that's true. Um, so if you see something that needs to be done, uh, go, go participate and go, yeah, go see help. something, do something. Right. Exactly. And yeah. if you do, um, more problems will come your way, which is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, David Peacock, uh, CEO and president of High Troll Conveyor Company. Thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 